0: Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. So whenever you think about hashtag blessed, did God know the timing of that series and the timing of this virus? Yes, he did. And somehow, way, he knew there was something that Jesus said in those Beatitudes that maybe we need to hear right now. And I'm just going to be real honest with you and very open and transparent this morning. Uh, you know, what do you, what do you say to, to take all the fear away? What do you do to take all the fear away? And the, the answer is, uh, I don't know what you can say and do to take all fear away. I know where to go. I know who to turn to. And what I, what I happen to believe is that God's going to take what the enemy is using to destroy us, bring fear in us. And God's going to do something, build something amazing in this. I think he's going to bring beauty from ashes. I think he's going to restore what the locust devoured. If I could take the the claims of the Old Testament and those beautiful prophecies. So I'm, I'm trusting that this is a season for us to draw close, really close. And today, it's kind of a cool day. It's a special day. And let, me, let me explain what I mean by that. That we are the church and we're all over the world. Let me welcome those of you that worship at Horizon West. Let me welcome those of you that worship at John Young. And let me welcome those of you that worship at any of our other, whether it's a Spanish service or Portuguese service, or those that worship with us regularly, but you live somewhere in the U.S. or even somewhere in the world. Can I just tell you, thank you for being a part of this today. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for being the body of Christ, literally all over the world. So I I, thought about the Beatitude for this day. And it's this one, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. If you've got a, a, a Bible, you want to open it, or if you've got a phone that's not being used to stream, go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, While you are doing that? Let me tell you, at this moment, there are over 4,000 devices that are streaming what's happening. In this moment, I I think that's amazing. So, wherever you are, give give him praise. Thank him for that response and that connectedness. We don't know how many each of those devices represent, but I'm sure often more than one. I just think it's amazing. So Jesus said, "Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy." So I don't know how you are dealing with this. Let Let's talk about it. (laughs) How many of you feel like you're in a movie? And, and at some point, you know, the movie's going to end. Or, or you're in a dream. Because the truth is, we're, we're walking through something we've never walked through. I mean, this is the one time when somebody, one of your friends, can't walk and go, Oh, I know what this, I've been through. This. Nope. We haven't been through this. And so there's a sense of, of, of really just looking to the heavens. Jehoshaphat king of Israel, there was a moment when he was surrounded by the enemy. He said, Lord, I I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And I'll confess, that's exactly what I'm doing. And the reason we want to make sure that we are connected to you and that you're connected to us is so that we can walk this journey together and we can communicate and we can be ready as the church. Can I tell you why we're not having the gatherings today that we typically have? It's because we love this community. We love the community we are serving. In fact, we love them so much, we're not going to run the risk of doing something that would bring in any way the danger to someone of contracting this or just sending the wrong message. When the mayor and his office specifically said to us, We're going to discourage gatherings that are large gatherings in the city. It was no question for me because I know what this book teaches about honoring those in authority. And I want to honor those in authority that made a decision based on the wisdom that they had. And I just have to believe that, God, you're going to use that. We love this community. And we love this community so much that we're going to be the church now more than ever. Can I tell you, I know two things right now. A lot of things I don't know, but I know two things. Number one, we need each other right now. We really need each other. I want to encourage, even though the social distance or or physical distance, whatever the term is that, you know, you're not supposed, like the the elbow bump or fist bump or whatever. That's a little frustrating to those extroverts like myself. To the introverts, you're rejoicing. But I, uh, can I just tell you something? I miss you so much today. To look around in this room and uh, I know what would normally be happening right now. It's not happening. And I'd be lying if I sat here and said, oh, this is no problem at all. No problem at all. No, it is a problem. You know why? Because I need you. I want to see you. The scripture says we need each other. And he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some. This is Hebrews chapter 10. And even more so as you see the day approaching. And I, I just believe that verse means that in these days we need each other. So I want to encourage you. Make sure we stay connected. Make sure as a life group or make sure in your family or make sure even among your friends. Our family getting together tonight just to hang out I think this is a season we really need each other the second thing is our community our community needs us I know these are these are strange times and, and all that but you know what it's a great time to be a church it's a great time to hold up hope and peace and hold up something that represents the opposite of fear trust and so I'll pray that this will be a season this church will see incredible things happen and the community and those who live around us will notice, man, what's, what's the deal with them? How come they have so much peace? How come they're walking through this this way? It's because we know somebody in high places. His name is Jesus. And he said, I've got you. I'm going to walk with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. What an awesome promise. So now let me turn to maybe a third thing that I believe. Maybe this is the time to do some stuff in us. So a funny story, my wife, we were talking about it. And of course, I was fretting yesterday, you know, like, well, shoot, I was going to stay home today watch March Madness. I was going to watch some of the tournaments, you know, and some of the, the endings. And um, so we got talking about, you know, what to do during this season when, you know, there are a lot of things we normally do, we're not. She said, I got an idea. How about we clean closets out? Can I just tell you that spoke fear into my core? It it was not, if I'd have made a list of things I wanted to hear, that would not have been on the top for sure. But she's right. It's a great time to clean out the closet. And I know you're thinking where your clothes are, where your shoes are. No, your closet. It's a great time to look inside and to see if there are things that aren't right. Maybe it's through just spending more time in his word. Maybe it's through spending more time with him in worship. But what a great time to look in. I think that's a part of what this beatitude is saying to us. Blessed are the merciful. You know, all these beatitudes up until now have been very vertical. This is the first one that actually turns horizontal. And let me explain that. The first ones, I mean, poor in spirit, that's about being broken. I mean, having nothing. Mourning, blessed are those who mourn, that's about being broken over the fact we have nothing. Those are very, very vertical. Even the hunger and thirst for righteousness, that's that's something inward here. But watch this. Then he says, and blessed are you who know how to give mercy. So I think maybe the cleaning out the closet prepares us to do something out there that's needed today. Blessed are the merciful. In the day in which Jesus spoke that, mercy was not highly valued. Why did Jesus say later on in the sermon, You have heard it said, Hate your enemies and love those who do good to you. You realize Jesus said that. He's quoting them. Their theory was this you love those that love you, and then you hate those who don't. Where is the mercy in that? It's not there. Let me tell you the Roman context of this saying. There was, I can't say the phrase in Latin. Some of you Latin scholars could probably get it, but I'm not going to attempt it. It sounds like something you've never heard. It is the statement that allows a man or a father to give thumbs up and let a child live or thumbs down and a child dies. Did you realize that? In the Roman culture of this day that is the time period of the Gospel of Matthew, the father had the right every time a child was born in his family to either give thumbs up, he lives, or thumbs down, he dies. And oftentimes it would be thumbs down. They even had that with a slave. If you owned a slave in the Roman Empire and that slave did something you didn't like, what would you do? they died. And unfortunately, husbands had the right to dismiss a woman with a thumbs up or thumbs down. It wasn't immediate death or anything, but it was definitely a culture that didn't understand what mercy was all about. So if you got something to write, down things, I mean, hopefully you're, you're where you can, maybe you're sitting at the kitchen table, maybe you're in the family room and you've got a place to write, or your iPad, or your phone, your notes. I, I, want you to, I want you to think about this. Mercy is an attitude that gives us, or excuse me, that doesn't give us what we deserve. Mercy is an attitude that doesn't give us what we deserve. Okay, now the reason I want to make sure you understand it is that mercy is the attitude. Grace is the gift of giving us what we don't deserve. So let me back up and, and explain it just a minute. Mercy would be when we should be punished, when we should have thumbs down from our Creator, but He doesn't. Grace is a gift that comes out of Mercy. When the Creator goes, I got a gift for you, you're not going to believe. In fact, let me, let me show you best way I know how to explain it. Danny mentioned that we have ushers prepared to come to your house. We have pastors ready to come. What if I showed up at your house right now? It would be kind of cool, wouldn't it? Teleport, show up at somebody's house. If I show up at your house, the act of me coming to your house, making the drive from here at John Young to your house, that is mercy. I'm doing what you don't deserve and what I probably would never do. But I'm doing it out of an attitude. Then I walked to your door and said, not Amazon delivery. I'm not going to take a picture and send you a text. I hand you this. The gift is grace. So mercy and grace are not the same thing. Mercy is the attitude and the context. Grace is the gift the gift of forgiveness. So my act of showing up at your house is mercy. My handing you this gift is grace. And so salvation, which is dependent upon grace, comes from a heart a merciful God. And, and by the way, don't interpret for a moment that in giving mercy, you make your own salvation. Sure. No, you don't. Your salvation is not made sure by anything you do. It's not your works. It's His. It's receiving what He's already done. So that's the difference in mercy and in grace and our salvation. God is a merciful God. So here's the question. How in the world can we be merciful? Because that's a challenge. Because we live in a culture of this. We want to. We want to get revenge. One of my favorite stories: an umpire who called a lot of leagues was on the way to a game. He was running a bit late, and he had to get there. And he got stopped for speeding. Police officer walks up to the window and says, "Sir, you know how you know you're speeding?" He's, "Yes, sir, Mr. Officer, I know I was. I'm trying to get to a ball game. I'm an umpire, and I'm just trying to get there. I just can I get a little mercy?" And the officer said. Uh, no, you, you were speeding, and so I need to give you this ticket, and he gives him the ticket. As uh, poetic irony would have it, about two weeks later, that umpire is calling a game, and that policeman is playing with his squad. And so, the, here they are. They walk up. And the policeman steps up over the plate, looks at the umpire, and all of a sudden it dawns on him. And the umpire says, you know who I am? And the police officer said, yes, sir, I do. And the umpire said, you better swing at everything. You better swing at everything. What does that mean? You're not getting any mercy here because you didn't give me any mercy. That's the world we live in. So how do we become merciful? Number one, understand who you are. You are a person who would not be where you are today if it weren't for the mercy of God. It's just simple as that. You have received mercy. Don't ever forget that. As I often say, you see a turtle on a fence post? He had help. We have a saying around here, don't wake up on third base and think you hit a triple. You had help. God has been merciful to you. Remember that. David Platt, one of my... Dear friends, when I was interviewing with a committee, candidates for the president of IMB, I'll never forget his interview. He started every sentence with this, by the mercy of God. By the mercy of God. Can I just remind you, everything you have, by the mercy of God. Everything you are, by the mercy of God. Remember that. Secondly, understand them, the person you're having trouble giving mercy it could be an individual, it could be family, community, I mean, what, the world, whatever. Republicans, Democrats, something, whatever. Remember to see them as God sees them. And let me explain what I mean by that. As a young pastor, I remember starting out, and there were certain people that just seemed out to get me. I mean, there were people that just, they were, man, they were ornery. And I remember struggling with them. And there was one in particular, a 70-year-old deacon. He voted no on everything. And I really thought it was a personal issue against me. And I was just having trouble praying for him. I was having trouble being his pastor. There wasn't any mercy. I remember inviting him to go to lunch with me one day. And I'll never forget this. I went to lunch with that man. And that man began to weep and tell me his story. All of a sudden, I saw behind that behavior and that attitude that I was so resistant to, I saw behind it, and there was a world of hurt. You might be surprised what's behind some of the folks we struggle giving mercy to. And can I just remind us all, this is a very tense time. It's a very tense time. I'm not going to shame social media. My goodness, it's how we are able to do this today. But be careful. Be careful. When you're going through a very anxious, intense time, we just tend to have a short fuse. We tend not to give people the benefit of the doubt. We tend to be picky and critical about everything. I just think God's people should live to a higher standard. We ought to be merciful. You know why? Because we understand everybody's nervous. Everybody's struggling with this. So understand that person. Last thing, just understand him. (laughs) He's a God of mercy. He created it. Did you know mercy is a uniquely Christian concept? It really doesn't exist outside the Christian faith. He's a God of mercy. He's the author of mercy. And when you remember these three things, about yourself, about that person, about him, then you're able to give mercy. And so the second part of this, the promise is what? They shall receive mercy. So when you're merciful, When we're understanding, when we move to meet needs, when we care for people, when we're able to let things go, what happens to us? We receive mercy. Now, let me make sure you understand quickly, that doesn't mean you receive the mercy of God for your salvation. That's already done. It's just that you ought to live out some kind of indication that you've received mercy, and the best indication I know is to give mercy. Because then you receive more. It's almost like the moment you are merciful to somebody, it unleashes the mercy you've already been given through your salvation. And it just absolutely opens the door for God to bless. So he says, when you're able to be merciful, you're going to receive mercy. A lot of people will interpret this as being, you'll receive mercy from people. I think there's a meaning. I think a possible meaning, that is a possible meaning. That may be a secondary application of this. But I just think grammatically, and and I think in terms of exegesis, the most natural way to understand this is you receive his mercy. And I think that is one of the most incredible thoughts. That when I'm able to give mercy, I receive it. And when I can't give mercy, when I don't see people in need, When I'm just all about me, what happens? I build a prison for myself. I allow a toxin just to flow through my veins. I I, I allow this incredible, horrible lens through which I look at the world, and everything changes. But the moment I give mercy, everything changes. So let me give you a couple examples as we close one example is a parable jesus told it's a parable called the unmerciful servant kind of a nice title right if you've got your bible go to matthew the gospel of matthew chapter 18 there's this story that comes from a question simon peter walks up jesus and jesus how many times we got to forgive somebody I sure wish I could see everybody because I'd want to ask you, how many of you have ever asked the question, how many times do I have to forgive them? So let me represent us all. I've done that. So how many times do I have to forgive that person? Simon Peter asked, you know what Jesus said? Seventy times seven. Now, why did he pick that number? Because Simon Peter said seven. Simon Peter thought he was being very gracious. According to most ritual or most law and the teaching of the rabbis, three times was all you had to forgive somebody. He thought, I'll be generous and pick seven. Lord, is it seven times? And Jesus looked at him and said, No, it's 70 times seven, which is, by the way, forever. The number seven meaning completion, eternity. 70 times seven means forever. So, did I just say you have to forgive somebody forever? Yep. And I didn't say that. Jesus said it. And then he tells this story. He said, there's this master. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like, here we go, with the kingdom of God idea. This is so cool. In my kingdom, he said, it's like this. There is a, uh, a landowner, and he's got servants working for him, okay? And one of his servants— And you want to make sure you notice this. If you're in Matthew 18, one of his servants, verse 24, owed him 10,000 talents. Okay? So the owner was really upset with him. He basically said, Take his wife and children, all that he had, and payments to be made, everything, and you locked him up. And this servant said, He begged the Lord he begged him. He fell on his knees imploring, have patience with me. I'll pay you everything. And so out of pity, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now watch this. A man owed him how many? 10,000 talents. He was forgiven the debt. Now that guy who was forgiven a debt of ten thousand talents? Now turns around and goes to a brother, who owes him. And this is what happens: he goes, seizes one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denari. I'm going to give you the equivalence in just a minute. A hundred denari. Grabbed him, pay me what you owe. And his servant, fellow servant, fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience, I will pay you. And what did this other servant do? He refused. He went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they reported back to the master, to the owner. Not good. They were the whistleblowers. Master, here's what he did. And when the master summoned him, he said, you wicked servant. (laughs) I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And this is the key verse. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay off his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you who do not forgive your brother from your heart. So in other words, here's a beautiful story that's an example to us of how mercy works because forgiveness is the gift but it comes from a heart of mercy. So the brother said, hey, you owe me. How much did he owe him? Well, according to the scripture, it says that he owed him him 100 denarii. Okay, let me do the equivalent amount of money today. Are you ready? $400. Write down $400. That's what that guy owed him. $400. What did he do? He choked him, threw him in prison until he paid everything. Now, How much did that guy who threw his brother into prison, how much did he owe the owner? Well, the text says 10,000 talents. You want to know what the number is? You're not going to believe it. Write it down. 643 million. 643 million. Compared to what? $400. So what was Jesus trying to say? Here's what he's trying to say. We owed 643000000 million. Shouldn't we forgive somebody who owes $400? Because our debt was forgiven. So the way mercy works is this. The reason we can be merciful is because we've received mercy. The reason we can forgive is because we've been forgiven. And I want to make sure you understand that when you are merciful, There's some myths out there about it that I just think are way off, and I I think they're wrong. I want you to listen to these myths. One of them is that when you are forgiving somebody, you don't do it until they show repentance. Don't have mercy until they show repentance. Did God wait on us to show repentance? No. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you want to be like the world, wait for their repentance. If you want to be like God, grant it before they ever show repentance. Here's another myth. Forgiveness means the offender is free from the consequences. Nope. You're just forgiving the act, not the consequences. Sin has consequences. And a third one I think that gets us. Forgiveness is not real until we've forgotten the offense. You ever heard somebody say, well, you haven't forgiven because you still remember it. Um, Let me give you a little newsflash. When you're hurt or wounded or things happen, you'll always remember that. Forgiveness is not dependent on you not remembering. You can't do that. And then this one. Forgiveness results in a good feeling that I have toward this person. Can I just be real authentic with you? When you give, forgive somebody and grant mercy to somebody that's hurt you, You may not want to have lunch with them next week. In fact, you may not want to have breakfast or dinner with them either. That's okay. The goal of mercy is not a good feeling. It's an act that is just like Him. And so when you grant mercy, when you grant forgiveness, what happens? You release the debt. You release the debt just like God released our debt. You grant them the same thing we have been given by God. And I think this parable is one of the greatest pictures of what that looks like. We, uh, Rachel and I, have good friends that are back in Arkansas. He's a physician, family practice physician. His wife, so involved in the church. They were very young when we were their pastor and he was, he was busy uh, with his practice, but she was very involved in the church and raising their family. Got an email from her the other day. In the email, I have it in my hand. It basically says that, David, you didn't know this when you were my pastor, but I've struggled with depression for many, many years. She said, I've been to doctors, including my husband. I've taken all kinds of medicines. And I've never been able to get rid of it. And I went to a counselor that was deeply rooted in the scriptures and told me to do something. Told me to write down any wound or hurt that I'd had in the past or anybody that, that I needed to forgive or have mercy toward. And she said, I did it. And she said, when I did it, they told me to cancel the debt. Write canceled. And let go of it. Because it was the same way God let go of my debt. Remember? $643 million. 400 dollars and don't think that I'm pointing to Danny sitting on He doesn't owe me $400. I would have already gotten the $400. But remember this. When she forgave, when she granted mercy, she writes in her email, the depression went away. It was gone. She said, it is the most life-changing thing I've ever done. So maybe Jesus really knew what he was talking about. When we are merciful, something happens. And the second example I'd give you is probably the best I know, Jesus. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, and there beneath him were those who nailed him there, those who were making fun of him, those spitting upon him, man, all the stuff that was happening to him. When he's on the cross, what is Jesus doing? Is he praying, God, get him! God, punish him! God, you see what they're doing. What did he say? Luke 23, 34. One of the greatest verses in the Bible. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's mercy. That is a wonderful thing called mercy. So I want to ask, is there somebody that you need to be merciful to? And mercy isn't just about forgiveness. It's about meeting needs. Mercy tends to move to need. But I've found a lot of times it's a lot easier to go and meet a need than it is to forgive somebody. I think at the heart of mercy, it's giving that gift of forgiveness, that gift of grace. A book I was reading told a story about a young lady. And this young lady's name was Amber. And she wrote a letter to her grandfather. And this is painful, and i I'd just tell you that up front. She said, Dear Grandpa, I'm writing this letter to share a few changes that have taken place in my life. But first of all, I want to tell you thanks for all that you've done for me. You gave me a lot of special memories. And I'm cutting things out just a lot. I want to thank you for loving me and being my friend when there seemed to be Nobody else. I also want you to know I'm on a spiritual journey working toward inner healing with the Lord Jesus in my heart. But I'm having trouble in the area of the things you did to me when I was a little girl. So through my struggle to help me move on in my healing, I want to give you a gift. The most special gift I could give to you. Grandpa, that gift is forgiveness. I want to be merciful and give you forgiveness. I want to explain what kind of forgiveness it is. My gift of forgiveness is for you and all the violations that you committed against me when I was growing up. And then she goes into this list. She said, I want to forgive you and release you for violating me and using my body for your own pleasure. I want to forgive you and release you from the mistrust you developed in me and a fear of not getting close to somebody because I would get hurt again. I want to forgive and release you for making me feel so ashamed when I did nothing wrong. I want to forgive and release you for the anger you developed inside of me towards you. But The most important thing, I want to forgive you and release you from the distorted picture of God that you gave me. You made me blame him for what was happening to me, the sin that you were committing against me. I thought it was his fault. And as a child, I couldn't understand, how does this God love me when he would do this to me? Now I know it wasn't God's fault. But I was a scared little girl. But I didn't know he was there for me the whole time. I probably didn't listen when he tried to talk to me. But, Grandpa, I've completed this part of my journey, and I've given over to the Lord through forgiveness and mercy, all of this. And I want to make a promise in my heart that I will never bring this up to you again. Before I I do, say goodbye. I want to thank you again for all the good memories. I'll always cherish those good times. Now that I feel better about myself and can accept what's happened, I can really say what it means to love you through the eyes of the Lord, your granddaughter, Amber. Now, I know that's a a moving letter. You want to know something that's really crazy and interesting about that letter? It was written several years after her grandfather died. She never got to give that to him. But for her, as she goes goes on to tell, it changed her life to let go and to be merciful. So today, I don't know who it is. I don't know what it is. But maybe in this season when, when we're all kind of out of sorts and patterns are changed, Like Rachel said, maybe it's a good time to clean out the closet. Maybe it's a good time to look in here. So would you do something with me? Would you, wherever you are, wherever you're streaming this, will you just pause for a moment? Maybe bow your head. And that's only just so you can focus. Think about it. Is there something you've been holding on to? Is there an attitude that is not merciful? That you need Jesus to help you. Just tell him right now. Just say, Lord, I got to have mercy for them. Or I've got to give mercy to that. Just tell him. And maybe while you're praying, thank him for his mercy. The most important thing you could do is receive his gift of mercy today. Because with it comes peace. With it comes assurance that he's with you. I'll show you how merciful Jesus was for you while you were a sinner. He died for you. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's you. He gave his son so that you could believe and in believing have everlasting life. He didn't give Jesus because we deserved it he gave Jesus because God is a God of mercy. And if you've never received that gift, it changes everything. Then it enables you to be merciful. Now I want you to to look back up at your screen. We are here to talk, to have conversation, and though we're not meeting all together physically today, we're together, and the reason we need each other is to help each other with stuff like this, to walk with each other to freedom, to come to a place where we have been merciful and therefore we receive mercy. Please reach out if there's something that we can help you with. we got a great counseling center. That can help you walk through some of these really difficult things that you're having trouble letting go of. Got a team of pastors here. Got a team of folks that just love you. And we just want you to know today, we do love you. And that's why I want to close this service with something pretty special. So the team is out here. Come on up, guys. On the way in this morning, I I played this song in, in my truck. I probably played it way too loud which I typically do but I sang along with this because it's my prayer for you today it's what I want to say over you today it's a song that was written actually just a few weeks ago by Carrie Job, her husband Cody Carnes also it was written at Elevation so some of the worship leaders there were involved and the pastor was involved And they recorded it just a few weeks ago, live at Elevation. And the the song is simple. Carrie says, we just pressed into the Lord, and the Lord just overwhelmed us with His presence. And this is what we heard Him saying. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord calls His face to shine upon you. God is for you. May He grant you His favor to your children and to your children's children. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church podcast. If you are inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great
1: week.